You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. Since this is part two, there's no story for this week. We're just going to jump right back into the interview. If you haven't already checked out part one, be sure to listen to last week's episode first. And if you have already checked that out, then keep listening. Yeah, and and I also consider how um you know black women are very well educated and very well read, but um there's also something to lose. There's also kind of something to lose if you consider the idea of like marrying down. So if black women don't marry someone who is on their same educational level, there's actually research that says that women who are educated women who marry someone who is not educated um stand to lose about $25,000 a year. And so it what it does is perpetuate um, inequality, uh, especially for black women who where there's a, a shortage of men who are educated on the same level as as them. So for me, that's also a consideration with marriage is like, okay, if I do marry, am I what I and I have to marry somebody who is less educated than me, what are the financial repercussions in that sense of, of, of tying myself to someone who is, um, who doesn't have the same. It's like you're taking yeah. on another child, essentially. Exactly. And now, on top of it, on top of that financial burden, there's, okay, I was just actually discussing this with some of my friends on Facebook, and I was talking about the book that I'm working on right now, and the fact mm-hmm. that part of this book is going to be a story about when I was in college Um, I attended this fantastic class with this awesome professor named Derek Hamilton. And the class kind of um, deconstructed American, the the American economy and explained how racism just permeates the whole damn thing. And it's sad because when I first entered that class, he asked the class, like, why is it that black people are more poor than white people? And why is it that you, you know, you have all of these disparities? And I was like, because niggas is lazy, right? Or whatever the heck kind of, God forsaken answer. Oh God, I, I shun my old self. But the point Listen, is me that, too. Everybody, everybody, because we have because that's what we have access to. Let's be real. What, what's right to tell us? What's you know, right. nobody's saying the truth. So right. the point of what I'm going to say is that um that education was the only way that I could have ever gotten to the point where I can love myself as a black person and love black people because otherwise, guess what? I was blaming us for circumstances that are far outside of our control. And I was internalizing the hell out of racism. When it comes to men, you had that additional factor of internalizing the hell out of sexism and and noir, right? So Mm -hmm. all of these negative stereotypes about black women and you never really challenge them. And that's what right. that schooling environment, that additional school, because you're not going to get that in high school. That's usually on the college level, like how you were saying you got um, your degree looking at gender studies and, and racism, right? That's going to happen mm-hmm. on the college level. So if you're with a man that never got that kind of education, guess what? You're dealing with somebody who not only economically is not going to meet you halfway, but in terms of how they're going to treat you, they haven't begun yes. to challenge their own racism and sexism. So how are they going to treat yes. you though? So that wasn't, that's another issue that I have in terms of like the implications for marrying down 
quote unquote, on on um, like things like the division of labor within uh, a relationship, because there's a correlation between, you know, having higher education, being college educated and having more egalitarian views. And um, so if when you partner mm-hmm. with someone who, who hasn't, you know, had the opportunity to deconstruct those ideas, they tend to have more traditional views and more and, and believe in more traditional roles. So even that is like something to consider when you're thinking about partnering, because I don't, you know, I don't, I, I want to work, but I don't want to, you know, work and then have to come home and take and a, take a the second shift. Right. Right. And this, the second shift, which like, there's also, you know, lots of research on how women actually do a whole extra month worth of work um, than in each year, more than men. So like, a month of 24 hour days. That's the amount of additional work that women do in relationships more than men. Um, because they just, most men just don't pull their weight in terms of, uh, the division of labor in the house. And this is even men who, who claim to be, you know, egalitarian or, um, more progressive in their views. Like they may do more work than, uh, men who are, who have more traditional views, but it's still not necessarily equal. So it's exacerbated when you have, these um when you when you part, partner with someone who has more traditional views but even so call, even saying they have more traditional views mm, they have more traditional views insofar as it benefits them because these oh, yeah, yeah. men because if you're marrying down you're not so traditional that you're about to take on all of my bills and pay my bills no you're not you're expecting that I'm going to be bringing in that money and making you comfortable and simultaneously performing all of the duties of this womanly role while I also perform these masculine duties. And that's where you really run into the problem because you can be traditional. That's up to you. If you d- believe in that division of labor, for some people it works. Like my mother loves cleaning the house and folding clothes and taking care of kids. I'm her man. I make the money. <laughs> I despise, I sincerely, sincerely despise folding clothes. So it it brings Mm -hmm. me great pleasure that we have this working relationship that's functional. So if people can find out in heterosexuality, I have no, in a heterosexual relationship, good for you. But that's not what's expected of black women. What's expected of black women is that we're going to do everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have an issue with traditional roles either, but like, if I'm going to be in a traditional role, I'm not, I'm like, it's going to be like traditional for real. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to work. <laughs> no, I have not heard what word? No, sweetheart, my work is going to be in the house. Because, in all honesty, if I can tell you the absolute truth, the work that I do is nothing compared to what my mother does. My two kids, oh, sweet Christ, I wouldn't wish that on on the, on the devil. They're two in one. Like, oh, yes. I mean, it's cute, but it's hell. And, <laughs> you know, I've been working all my life. My mother's been working all her life. And she always aspired to being this housewife. And if only I could stay home and take care of the kids. And now she's like, oh, my God, because it's so hard. It's like the hardest work you will ever do. And my mother was a hospice nurse taking care of dying people, having to move two, 300-pound men. And she mm-hmm. still can see that this job of taking care of the household is so labor intensive, especially in the beginning um, that, you know, it it has forced me to really respect women and respect women of of past generations who have really been holding it down, really, really holding it down. So even within the, the, the division of labor um, in the traditional sense, it's still not fair because that household labor, that is 24 seven, a job, you go to the job, you come home, you're off. In the house, you mm-hmm. are 24-7. This is true. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and I think that, I, and there's uh, there's actual I've seen research on that as well that uh, for for women who are are high paid, high achieving, and who are married to men who um, make less or have a lower income, they need to compensate for that 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 discrepancy in their masculinity since they're not the, the, the main breadwinners. And so they do expect for, for women to, to do even more of the labor in the house um, because they need to make up for that ego, basically the ego. Yeah. So everything is a big ego trip. Everything is a big ego trip pretty much. And it's like, we haven't even begun to factor in those intimate violent uh, those intimate partner violence statistics it's like oh okay you're running around talking about traditional values this and that and the other but at the end of the day in the black community we have the most intimate partner violence we have the most domestic violence i mean we need to start talking about these things because it's very very serious and it has significant ramifications even if you decide to marry down now you're marrying down the odds that your partner is going to be violent or or even just emotionally abusive, physically abusive, you name it, we're going to run into those problems with more frequency just based on statistics. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why would I do that? Why would I sign up for that? (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Every unicorn passes, you jump on the unicorn. Okay? Yeehaw, unicorn. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to spend my life waiting for a unicorn because I have a whole entire life to live and my life is fantastic and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Right. So, so you mentioned being a mother and I, I wonder um, how, how your ideas about marriage have, uh, how your ideas about marriage have influenced your sense of self in terms of, of motherhood. Because I think, I feel like mo- black mothers in general get a bad rap or get a tough time and specifically single black mothers get a tough time in our society because there's, mm-hmm. there's like lots of stigma and stuff. So tell me about how um, your ideas about marriage have influenced your sense of self in terms of motherhood. Well, you know, it kind of goes back to never existing in a very imposing type of environment. You know, I've always been very free and kind of not had to deal with too many labels and stuff. So that has kind of given me a really over ridiculously high self-esteem. So in a lot of ways, that has enabled me to embrace things that people would otherwise be so horrified by. Like Mm -hmm. um, in my book, I was just writing about precisely this and I was talking about the fact that I told my ex, listen, I'm not getting married to you because I want to keep my health insurance just in case, you know. And in greater society, people will brand you and say, oh, you're a welfare queen and you're using the system and this and that. But quite frankly, I don't give a flying shit what you have to say, because are you saying that to Jeff Bezos, who made billions and never paid any taxes? You worried about mm-hmm. my broke self? Your priorities are misplaced. So <laughs> um, ultimately... I don't care. That's what it comes down Mm to. My views on motherhood are such that I must provide for my children. I must give them a fantastic, amazing, beautiful life. I must help them achieve whatever they want and grow and flourish and make it possible that they can dream even bigger than I ever did. And that's it. In terms of marriage, I don't need marriage to do that. Marriage can facilitate that under the right circumstances. But right, not yeah. Necessarily make that happen at all. Right. So that's what I was gonna say. Uh, you you mentioned under the right circumstances, and mm-hmm. so one of the things for me, I for me, I well, first of all, I'm not really interested in having kids. But if I were to have kids, 
up until recently, it's been hard for me to imagine having a child outside of marriage. And 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 it's made it's comp it's made complicated by these very systems that we're talking about mm-hmm. because for, for to me to to birth a child as a black woman in the United States is also to have to grapple with your mortality because because having a child birthing a child could mean that you know that's a life risking endeavor in in the yeah. U.S. So so it's it's a very serious and marriage is something that I require and because um it's such a such a huge thing to take on one of the other prerequisites of not just being married but it's that he has to be able to take on to care for a family or provide for a family in the event that like something happens to me or like I know black women who were bedridden for their in the entirety of their pregnancy so like what happens if that you know if that were the case for me if I didn't make it or if I were bedridden and I couldn't work like could you provide for a family in the instance in the instance that I couldn't so the fact that that's not even so like that's even made complicated and 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 by you know the systems you know in America in place in America you know I would have I would have my former self of let's say 10 years ago perhaps would have agreed with you but what happened between then and now is I got exposed to a whole lot of women and not all black. Actually, I'm no, I'm not going to say any names, but um, who never had the opportunity to have any kids because they were mm-hmm. that perfect setup and the perfect setup never came. And a lot of these women are black and very successful. They're usually black and very successful. Um, I have encountered a white woman as well, but Encountering these women early on in my life, like, or in my young adult life, like in my early 20s, mid 20s, when I identified that my success could then make it so that I would never have any kids, if I strived to this perfection or this ideal, I honestly let it go because it made no sense. If I have to find the ideal partner, but I know the ideal partner statistically is not likely to show up, am I really going to sit around and wait for the ideal partner? No, I'm not. Because I've always wanted kids and because I've always enjoyed kids and that's just something mm-hmm. that has always been in my plan. Kids is mm-hmm. always been in my plan. Marriage, mer. Um, and it's like... Feel- um, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's like a... To say that, it's a very interesting thing because, like you say, most people view it as a prerequisite. But how can you view it as a prerequisite when so many people are not even born in marriage? If you use marriage as a prerequisite, well, that would mean every Black person you know has to be born in marriage and most aren't. Right. So so for me, it's not that I view marriage as a prerequisite for everybody. It's just that up until recently, it's the only way that I could conceive of motherhood for me. But... I feel I feel fortunate as a black woman that I don't feel tied to this uh to like needing to experience motherhood because if I if I did then that would make like the situation even more un- unfavorable because what if I, if I tie my if I wanted to experience motherhood and I had to experience it within the context of a marriage mm-hmm. then what does that mean for my chances of, of being a mother so right. I do I consider myself fortunate in the, in the sense that I don't I don't necessarily aspire to like be a mother um, because that takes some of the pressure off of off of me mm-hmm. um, so but for black women who do you know want to be mothers and also like have this requirement to be married first like that is a a, something that 
they have to grapple with. Like how oh, important it's is it? It's really terrible. And it's a no-win situation. And being a black woman, you have to grow very comfortable in no-win situations and make sure that the no-win situation still benefits you. And that's mm-hmm. only how I view everything. When I mm-hmm. started my writing career, for example, it's a no-win situation because it's a white-dominated space. It makes you cringe. You encounter mm-hmm. a lot of snaky, terrible human beings. It Just having to participate in that space is not winning. However, at the end of the day, I'm going to go into that space as I need to and take whatever and extract whatever the hell I got to get out of it in order to bring it back to my family and have a nice life. And in the same way, I treat even relationships with men that way. I view most relationships as a no-win situation for all of the reasons we've just outlined. Mostly it's a no-win situation. However, there aren't, that doesn't mean that there aren't ways that you can make sure that you negotiate for yourself what it is you want to go in and extract from the situation because um, a lot of my relationships with men have helped me out um, on my career path because they've been supportive in certain ways or even my ex, he's psycho, but he gave me two amazing kids, you know, so mm-hmm. even no-win situations, if your life, you have bigger goals and you have a bigger plan for yourself, you will end up down that path that you you view as like your ultimate like fulfillment. So that's mm-hmm. how I just go about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and that you you're speaking of considering relationships with men in terms of like how to extract what you what you want and what you need from those situations. That that brings mm-hmm. me to um, the actually the backlash that you received from this from this <laughs> article about marriage not being for black women. There was a certain segment of black mm-hmm. women who were uh, not too happy about it. So what was some of the backlash? If you remember, what was some of the backlash that you received? Oh, yeah, of course, I remember just the really typical. Oh, um this is the kind of thing that brings down the black community. And this is why there's all these single mothers. And this is because of white feminism. And this is because, and and that's, you think like that because you've been influenced by white feminists, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. Just really deflecting from the bigger conversation. I think a lot of black women don't want to confront this very damning, harsh reality. It's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. This isn't something we're not like, oh, bunnies and rainbows, yay! You know, we're not Becky at a slumber party high fiving. You know, we're not doing that. We're having really rough, really tough conversations. And for black women who are not exposed necessarily, to the statistics, to black women who haven't begun to kind of de- deconstruct this whole experience, it's really traumatizing. And so I recognize that and I empathize with that. And I just give people space to kind of learn and grow and have their little backlash moment. But at the end of the day, you got to go home to that man you're taking care of. And that's on you. You know, at the end right. of the day, you have to decide what kind of boundaries you're going to set for yourself economically, um emotionally, psychologically, physically, you know, so all mm-hmm. these responsibilities still fall on our shoulders and whether or not people can take my words at face value and kind of apply it to their own lives and, and, and benefit from it or not, we're still going to have to encounter the same problems in reality. Yeah. So, and, and I, the backlash that I saw was coming from like a, a like the femininity segment of like black women oh, who are very, very into like, if you just, present yourself this way and wear a dress and have your makeup and be, and (laughs) so if if you do that, then, you know, use your femininity to your advantage. And the, the, um, the, 
to me, that's problematic in that it becomes just like the other advice for for black women. Like, I feel like black women get messages from so many places about like what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to act and, you know, how we should wear our hair and how we should be and blah, blah, blah. And like these messages, like to me, some of these platforms that that teach um, how to like lean into your femininity and use it and blah, blah, blah. Th- those to me don't feel that different than those other boxes that are forced or black women are forced into. So that's where it becomes problematic for me. Um, well, that's it, the it, same it, thing as Bill Cosby saying, pull up your pants pretty much, you know, yeah. it's not very different. You have a systemic issue and then you try to make right. an individual you try to individualize solutions and there's no individual solution to a systemic issue. It's a systemic problem. So, but like I said, people don't want to acknowledge that there are larger forces at play in their little individual lives that they think they are so in control of. No, darling, you live in a greater society, but these are all concepts. Like I said, that you're really exposed to in college. And so you have to really be careful and really mindful that we are helping people to navigate thoughts and navigate concepts that we were fortunate and privileged to have been exposed to and and, and to have kind of start to grapple with. So for me, um, I don't have a choice. I have to tell you, girl, mm -mm, that's not going to work. You know, I'm going to be the one talking because ultimately a lot of these women that are peddling this ultra feminine and find you a white man and, or like, like there's that one lady on, on Facebook. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her role, something Rose. I think so. Oh, sweet. Oh, just leave it there. You know, um, she she's like this very light skinned black woman, and she's married to this light skinned black man, and they live in France. And she just makes herself this ideal. And look at what I cook. I cook five star meals every day while I'm in heels, and the kids are perfectly dressed. It's like, <laughs> like let's be real here. Firstly, did you begin to address all of these privileges, right? Did you begin to address the fact that you were happen to find a partner when most Black women can't, right? Mm-hmm. And she has this wife school where she's like, well, if mm-hmm. you follow my wife school, then I'm going to find you the perfect man. Except nobody ever come out of that wife school finding no man. I'm still waiting Hello. for matches. It's been years. I'm like, bro, where your matches at, girl? <laughs> So the thing that makes this so well, all of it in general is the expectation for for women and black women specifically to contort ourselves and to bend ourselves and to shrink ourselves and all these other things to get a man. The thing that makes it so absurd to me is that is like when I think about like myself, I, I feel like I'm such a dynamic individual. Like I have and I've invested so much in myself in terms of having the privilege of getting an education or formally or even informally like just reading books or exposing myself to perspectives outside of my own and the process of like unlearning and you know things like fat phobia or transphobia or even anti-blackness and misogyny because I'm not exempt just because I'm a black woman or like opportunities that I've had to like travel and see different things or um the introspection that I've done, the therapy that I've that I've worked through all these all these things that I've done to work on myself I feel like it's such a joke that I'm supposed to be vying for the validation and attention from a group of people, men who have not been Don't required to half the work, not no. even half the work. No. That I- <laughs> no. so it's like I'm not absurd. doing that. I'm not doing that straight up. 
I'm just not doing that. And that's not to say that I don't entertain men because I do. I always have. Yeah, yeah. Come on. (laughs) Right, yeah, me too. But But that's the point. You have one because he has money and he can take you to nice places. You have one because he's funny and he's really cute. You have the one that's very (laughs) introspective and interesting. If I find them, if I find all of that in one dude, that's fantastic. But otherwise, like I said, for me, life is about getting into things that I can extract whatever it is I need from it. And then I leave that right there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's not that you can't have really meaningful, significant heterosexual relationships. I have a whole shit ton of them. Um, Right. They're very, what, what I really like is that they're very transparent because I'm a very transparent person. So everybody knows what my views are on them and what the expectations are. And we all good. Um, and <laughs> I feel no, for real, we're all good. And, but I feel like getting to that point, well, I've always kind of been there, honestly, but it was especially even easier after I had my two kids. Cause I'm like, nigga, I don't need y'all. <laughs> so now, so now my dating is just completely me focused. I have mm-hmm. so much time and energy and effort and resources into getting where I am in this moment and into bringing my family along with me in this moment. Mm-hmm. No way in hell's name. I'm begging no man for no attention. Sweetheart, that's cute. Mm-hmm. But no, thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> so, yeah. You that, better that's come good. with a real good foot massage. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so that brings me to my next question is how, what's your understanding of marriage now and like its centrality in your life? You're kind of already answered that to be honest but what would you say for uh, for other women for for black women who who like want to learn to decentralize and deprioritize marriage well like i said before the, the the first thing is the issue of kids because you want the ideal for your children everybody wants a partner everybody wants their children to be raised in a two parents, supportive household, or even, you know, the village raises the child when i was with my ex the fact that he had a father um I was imagining my kids having a grandfather and how beautiful that would be. So these are all things that everybody or not. Well, that most people who want to have a family, that's what they aspire to. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that Mm -hmm. means that there aren't also a million other options. Like at this point, I live with my sister, my nephew, her son and his father we all live together he got stuck here and turned out where i am he's from brooklyn he got stuck here when he came to visit for carnival and he does not want to leave even though we like but in any case so i live with them and my mom and my two kids and we just have this like big old house and we just we're just living our best lives like i wouldn't quite frankly if i can be 100 honest even given perfect circumstances with my ex I wouldn't give up what I have now to be in in that nuclear type of arrangement because Mm -hmm. I like this more. My kids just have so many people to run to. Um, I just have so much more support. So I think a big part of decentralizing this concept of this nuclear marriage and this two-parent household is recognizing that there is a village. Like that whole idea of the nuclear family is a very new one. And it's not a very African one. We are used right, to being right. part of a much bigger community. And now that we are running into the kind of hardships that we're going to be running into, it's not going to be easy. We need to mm-hmm. really refocus entirely our thinking on how we're going to view everything. And a big part of that is recognizing that we need to start building communities. We need to start um, 
building up our families, whoever they are, your, your mom, your auntie, dad, or whoever, whatever that family is for you, you need to make sure that they are as unified and, and centralized as possible because we need to be pooling our resources. So all of mm-hmm. are inevitable, firstly. Once people get more poor, they start moving in with each other, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to happen inevitably. And in those circumstances, we need to just really um, embrace them and embrace that change and view having children and having and raising a family through this new lens of this new normal then of also building communities and having them within communities, not just within two parent households. So that's big. That's been a big thing for me. And I, I can't I swear I wouldn't trade how my kids are being raised now for anything. I, I can't even imagine an alternative story. I couldn't. Honestly, that's ideal. That is what I envision ideally, too. So so. For me, marriage, yes, but also the idea of raising a child in a strictly nuclear setup seems lonely for to me because you just have the the the, the two parents and the children, and like especially it's exacerbated in situations like this, like the pandemic, because now you are literally home with your literally right. So it's just you and your kids and like these two parents. So yeah, yeah, the idea of a nuclear family model has always seemed rather um, lonely to me because you do need uh, an extended support system and network. So, yeah, I think that would, that for me, that's, that's what I would like to see for black women more is kind of prioritizing all relationships and not just pedestaling romantic relationships Mm -hmm. uh, with, with, with men and, and this central uh, role identity as, as a wife. So, and for me, Black relationships with black women have been like the most fulfilling relationships that I've ever had. Because there's nobody that, yeah, there's nobody that that understands me or sees me like another black woman. And so Mm -hmm. it, to me, it doesn't make sense why romantic relationships, specifically heterosexual romantic relationships, have to be on a pedestal over these other relationships that are fulfilling in many many ways um and just as just as important if if not more important to some people so um, i feel like that's a lot of that is just a function of patriarchy and it's not reflected in the true lived experiences of black women because if you want to talk about the true lived experiences of black women we are all having babies and guess who helping us raise them our mamas let's be real (laughs) and that's been that way for generations (laughs) that's been that way for generations it it has so as much as you want to pretend, oh, we, we oh, there's heterosexual and, and, and getting married. At the end of the day, it's mommy that you're going to be turning to when your child is waking you up at 2.30 in the night and you just can't deal with it anymore. Right. Um, because mm-hmm. they know and women know, you know, it's just a very unique experience being pregnant and being a mother. And it's mm-hmm. unique, burdensome um, and cumbersome. And you can't train a man to understand that. And in having mm-hmm. to train him, if you could train a man to understand that, the society would have to do it because then guess what? You're going to get an equipped man. Instead, we are getting men that have no manual and they're going to come to us requiring mm-hmm. training when we need the support. So that makes no sense. So right. ultimately, you're always going to end up relying on your on those women in your family to be that backbone of your family. So embracing that and respecting that and loving that and appreciating that, like there's nothing more important than that. Because right. in your lived experience, that romantic relationship ends up falling to the kind of background anyways through all of this. You know, for me, like my best friend, for example, she's really 
just been instrumental in everything. Like over the course of my life, that person is always going to be there. That person is always going to hold you down. Mm -hmm. um, and we just have each other's back. And I, I always say like, she's not going anywhere, you know? Um, and yes. same thing with my mom, and same thing with my sister. They're not going anywhere. Yep. Like, I not only feel so secure in, but these are people who have known me for so damn long and who have invested so much in me. So until a yeah. man comes around and has invested that much, then yes. he will stand anywhere close to where these women are in my mind. But until yeah. that point, good luck. And you're working towards getting where they are. So yep. I'm with you. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. So, so prioritizing relationships with other women and, and also for me also prioritizing myself and yep. like what I want and learning what I want and what makes mm -hmm. me happy and, and, and focusing on that. Like that's been really important for me in, in, you know, not letting this idea of marriage like consume me or, and, yep. you know, will I get married? Or so, and, and I, and I've discovered so much about myself and I think that's part of loving yourself is allowing yourself the space to figure out what you want up apart from this partnership with this man over here. So yep, that, yep. that, and, 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 and it really takes off the burden from the men who ultimately could never really measure up. Let's be real. So many men are never really going to measure up. And if we recognize that, and if we lean on our other support systems, we could appreciate them for whatever it is they are and what they bring to the table. And, that's not a, actually a bad thing. There are, not I'm not, it's really not that serious. Um, I really enjoy so many of my male friends and even men that I date. Like we just have fantastic relationships when they are good because we respect each other for what we bring to the table. And because I don't expect more, I don't have to be pushing mm -hmm. you and babying you and telling you like, come on, I'm, I don't have no time for that. I'm a big grown woman with suture and Okay, yourself, <laughs> and I have those other support systems to lean on, which helps, of course. So that eases the burden off of my expectations of male performance as well, because mm -hmm. they're crushed. If you want to be honest, masculinity—it's mm -hmm. like on its dying breath. It's like, like black masculinity. They are like, listen, that's another. <laughs> It's a whole nother episode of conversation, but it's, 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 it's really, we have to be real. Like how much more pressure can you place on that situation without creating something that's combustive and going to explode in your face? So for me, mm -hmm. I'm not here to pressure somebody already under pressures, right? Because mm -hmm. what is that going to do? It's not going to really do much. I have to be realistic right. with my expectations and I have to look elsewhere for what's going to fulfill me and what's going to make me happy. And in doing so, you end up having much more fulfilling relationships because you see it for what it is. You exactly. And that's, and, and that's a good way to, to um, end this conversation is that it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom and a hopeless situation or whatever, like recognize, you know, what it is, what the situation is um, and the, the conditions that we live in and, figure out what you can control about that and, and, and invest in the relationships that are really going to fulfill you and, mm -hmm. and really expectation management. And that's, that's all there is. Like that's all there is that's life in general. That's our life in general. Yeah. So um, tell me, tell us about your, the book that you're working on. 
oh, well, I'm working on a book that's the an expansion of the article I wrote called Black American Refugee for the New York Times. It was essentially telling the story about the fact that I chose to leave America because it's just racist and just a whole hot mess. And I've been telling my friends this for years and years and years. And they and it just pretty much fell on deaf ears. Um, and I've been trying to get them to all move. And now they're all hitting me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, why didn't I leave? And I'm like, I know. So um, but it's been a real journey getting from, you know, being because I, I was born in Trinidad and Tobago, but I lived in America since I was four years old. And I really identified mm-hmm. being an American. You know, I was raised on hip hop culture and I was raised, you know, in the South and in the Northeast. So I always classified myself as an American and kind of encountering all of that racism and encountering all of that being stuck in between worlds, having to choose between black and white. It, 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 it it's really like spirit crushing and so this mm-hmm. essay kind of tells the story of how I came back here and got to experience a different version of blackness that felt a little more more whole and a little more inclusive and allowed me a lot of space to heal. And so I just kind of talked my whole family down into moving down here with me. And it's been something that's been um, playing out over the course of years. And up until recently, up until December 2019, my mom was actually living in that same Jersey City house in the hood with the gunshots. And I was like, leave, woman, leave, leave. And she was really scared to make the leap, but she finally did. And we're just so grateful because she worked as a hospice nurse in this facility. And that same exact facility ended up becoming a COVID unit. So my mom would have been working in a COVID unit in, in wow. had she remained. And it's just, just this incredible moment that really reflects what you can do if you stick to your own dreams, have your own goals and aspire to living a whole life, like not just taking little tiny pieces of yourself. Like, wait a minute, what do I want? I want to shake my ass on the road. Yes, that's what I do every carnival and all the time. I want to do that. (laughs) I want to have a professional career. I don't want to have to- I still need to go to a carnival. What? Girl, as soon as COVID done, you coming. Mm, Just be ready because I'm the worst. I'm the worst. So um, I want to be a mother. I want to have a comfortable home. I want, you know, I, I, all of these desires, this is what I've been spending my entire life aspiring towards. And I just never felt like I had to sacrifice any of these goals in order to achieve the next. And for me, that's just what I want to impart to not, to black women foremost, because we need that message more than anyone else. Like you say, we're just mm-hmm. the ultimate contortionist and we don't have to be like, we have to march into this world whole, but in order mm-hmm. to be whole, we have to also heal and we have to really do some serious deconstructing and, and, and self-reflection and, and it, 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 it's hard, but it's not impossible to achieve your dream and to fulfill your, your own version of, of happiness Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's amazing that's amazing yeah listen i'm trying to find my way out because i've been on some know, let me get out of here <laughs> so but i don't i was born here so i don't have you know i don't have like a a a, a place to go where i was originally born so yeah <laughs> but you know the one thing that i always say to people is that the same way that black people immigrate to america Black people in America could immigrate out. Listen, I'm as soon as I find a way, <laughs> and so, I'm sure my mom is gonna know because um, I'm nervous about leaving her here. I know, but I'm I'm kind of right now 
doing a lot of research and talking to a lot of people and trying to work out like um, specific recommendations for black people who want to leave America and just kind of go somewhere else and, and experience a new life. I would say ultimately it's not just about moving somewhere else because a big move, it's hard, especially if your foundation is in America, but it's really about experience, experiencing somewhere mm-hmm. else because that can help you see the parts that parts of you that are, that, are, that you've allowed to fall by the wayside, you know, um, like I said, coming to mm-hmm. Trinidad Carnival, you know, Carnival time, you ain't wearing no clothes, you naked, you shaking your ass all over the place. When I first encountered this, I was like, wow. Because I was so used to that, being in that American environment where everything is just hypersexualized. And if a man mm-hmm. sees you in a skirt, he thinks he has a right to pull your arm in a club or people don't even go out and dance anymore. You're just on your Instagram. I'm like an old person. On your old Instagrams and your Facebook lives, you know. <laughs> so it was a <laughs> so it was a real um, experience for me to kind of encounter all of this freedom to just express myself in whatever way I felt like, including wearing fishnet and having half my ass cheek out and shaking my ass all over. Like for me, I like sexiness and it was just um, nice to be comfortable in a space and be able to do that and not be judged and be free. Um, yeah. Like I've littered my, my Instagram with a lot of those pictures from like carnival and I'm just behaving really inappropriately according to American standards. And it's just, shock to people because they're like hmm you can do this and also be a journalist and also write a book I'm like yes bitch <laughs> okay so related to that I do I do pole dancing for that exact reason because it's, it's like a <laughs> it's like a safe space like I get to be sexy and it's not for like the male gaze right, and so right. like when I started doing that uh it was it was amazing because that, I started like, with that in America too that was the first thing I ever did I used to go pole dancing this this Woman had the studio and it was like really affordable. What? I was up in that bitch every day. You're like, I don't play with my splits. Like, I like my splits. That's just, you know, it's a part of my identity. I have to be able to. This is a serious thing for me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You, you have. We have to come back and talk to us again when your book is out. Oh, for sure, Kayla. You'll be at the top of my list. I really enjoy your. Yes, I, I, I enjoy everything about you and your professionalism. Um, your email was just really thoughtful and really thorough, and you are an exceptional person. I just want you to know that you are very exceptional, very cool. <laughs> And I've encountered a decent amount of people um, doing interviews and stuff like that. I've done Fox News interviews that weren't as thoroughly, well, it was with a black affiliate, with a black affiliate. Okay. <laughs> Don't be it wasn't with Hannity or some crazy, no, ain't nobody talking to his crazy white old, nah. But, um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> in all cases, like, it's not with enough frequency that we are told when we are exceptional and you are sincerely exceptional. And just keep at it, keep doing what you do. And build that network. Reach out to people. Don't be afraid. I got contacts for you. Let me do the thing. <laughs> this is why I love black women. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true.
Thank you for listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at Not The Wifey Type. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. Bye.